Good morning. I'm glad you're joining us again online, and I am hopeful that God will encourage you this morning as we continue our series called Get Fit. This week, we're going to be looking at another thing that's crucial for your spiritual growth. Uh, 24, 24 is upon us. It's, um, it's probably going to be a crazy year, right? Who knows what's going to happen? But what I do know is that we need to be as strong and uh, mature in our faith as Christians as possible. And so at the beginning of the year, as many people make resolutions and goals, we thought it'd be smart to talk about what is really crucial to grow, mature, and uh, be uh, full of life spiritually. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of things. This week, we're going to talk about two more things that are crucial for spiritual growth. Now, <clears throat> the first one we're going to talk about is providential relationships. And that basically, that phrase, it just means relationships God provides for your good. I'm sure all of you can imagine someone in your life that God used to do you good. Key relationships that really helped you, gave you direction. Maybe God used them to provide for you or protect you or correct you. In my life, I've had a lot of these relationships. And when you don't have people in your life who can uh, speak for God and uh, provide you the grace that God is giving, that if you don't have people in your life who are really pointing you towards what is true and right and good, people who are not calling you to faith, people who are not able to explain and help you, at some of these critical crossroads in your life, uh, you can go down a bad path. If you don't have these kinds of providential relationships, it's not good. So a famous story is Steve Jobs. He, uh, he's an atheist before he dies, and he was telling the story as to why that was. Apparently, he grew up in a Lutheran church. His parents were not religious, but they wanted him to have kind of a religious upbringing. So they were nominal Lutherans. And uh, when he got to, be a, got to be about 13, he saw a, a cover of Time magazine or Life magazine, and there was these starving children from a war-torn country in Africa. And he goes to his Lutheran pastor that he doesn't really have a relationship with. It's not really a relationship. And he quizzes him and he says, you know, does God know that I'm going to hold up my finger right now? And the guy says, yeah, God knows everything. He says, well, then why doesn't God do something about this if he knew it was going to happen? And since the Lutheran pastor didn't have a relationship with him and he didn't have a good answer and nobody else's life uh, had a good answer, he walked away from his faith. Now, that's just one story, but life's full of 50-50 balls like that where things could bounce in or bounce out. And the relationships that God puts in our life often determine the direction. They often steer our lives in a particular direction, either towards or away from God, towards blessing or towards cursing. And so you may have heard this proverb. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So our relationships matter. And if you ask most people who you would admire spiritually, what has been the key thing to your growth? They'll say, I met a guy. I met a woman. There was this one person in my life that God really used. And so who's that been for you? You know, in my life, when I first became a Christian, I was, I was basically expelled from college for all of my sin and debauchery. And after I had been expelled, I really repented and, and cried out to the Lord, and he saved me. But I still had to go home. And, and back home, I met a guy named Mike Monje. He was the worship leader at the Calvary Chapel in Cathedral City, and he took me under his wing, and wherever he went, I went. And he loved me, and he was patient, and he taught me what the Word of God said, and he modeled for me a Christian marriage, and it was great. Really important relationship. I had another guy in college. His, uh, he was my water polo and swim coach. His name was Rick Rowland, and he recruited me, gave me a scholarship. And even after I was expelled, they, they let me back in, and he gave me back my scholarship. He went to bat a lot for me. He was patient with me, and God used him in my life to keep me in the center of the river so that I would grow in my faith. And then, of course, Church in the Valley. There are more people here than I can count who God has used to build me up. And, I mean, really, if I, was to, if I was to try to figure out all the blessing in my life, 
um, that is connected to CIV, well, that, that would be, that'd be most of it. So in your life, if there are people who God has placed, that have done you good spiritually, start the year off by thanking them. And this is what God wants. He, he wants us to have these kinds of relationships. So you see it throughout the Bible. There's people like Abraham and Melchizedek. And then there's Barnabas and Paul, right? Paul was a, a murderer of Christians, and they were afraid of Paul. But Barnabas put his arm around Paul and said, no, this guy's changed. He's one of us now. We need to trust him. And that was a key relationship for Paul. You have uh, Ruth and Naomi, right? Naomi would have died without Ruth. And Ruth would have never had an opportunity to marry Boaz and become the ancestor of David if it wasn't for Naomi. So these relationships, God places together for their good. And this is, this is part of what God means in the verse, uh, 1 Peter 4.10. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So, so here we are, and we're like these fountains, these administrations, these, these givers of these things that God has given to us. And on the other end, the person receiving it is just being blessed by this relationship. That person who's giving is the providential relationship. But there's a flip side to this coin, and that is personal ministry. Personal ministry is just ministry that you do for God personally. That's what personal ministry is. It's, it's the ministry that I do for God personally. And there are two sides of the same coin. So I am giving away the gifts that God gives me in different ways, different circumstances. And you're experiencing it as a relationship that's providing for you. And when you do that for me, you're a relationship that's providing for me. So this is, this is the way God wants our church to grow. This is how he wants Christians to mature. This is how he builds up his bride. And we're supposed to be doing this more and more and more so the church keeps growing, so that church in the valley keeps growing. And as church in the valley grows, you grow. And God is glorified. So, personal ministry. That's another example of something people would tell you help them grow their faith. Ask a hundred people who you see as heroes in the faith, giants in the faith, what was key for your growth? And they're going to say, when I started reading, when I started doing a Bible study, when I, when I started serving on Sundays, when I went on that mission trip, that first mission trip, and I, I really sacrificed financially my time, my job, my family to go help. God spoke to me. He straightened me out. He gave me a love for something I didn't love before. That really helped me grow, personal ministry. When we sacrifice, um, bring over a meal, babysit for people, give them our labor, our time, our attention, open our homes to people. When we do that, that stretches us. That really makes us say to God, what about me? And then God provides for us. And we learn that our Father is endless in resources. He's all powerful. He's got plenty of stuff. He'll take good care of us. And as we pour out our hands, God actually makes our hands bigger so that we can receive more from him. And we pour out, and then we get a basket, and then we get a bigger basket. God wants to teach us how generous and how abundant this life is. He wants to teach us how living in the kingdom of God is the abundant life. And the way he does that is by us giving away what he gives to us, and then he gives us more, and then more. And these two sides of the coin are a key catalyst for your spiritual growth. The more you do these things, the more you allow God to do these things in your life, the more you're going to grow in 2024. Now, I'd like to um, look at the passage, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, which is where we get um, hard attitude number five, participate in the ministry of the church, fully participate in the ministry of the church. And I want to read the whole passage because it gives us a snapshot of what a healthy church looks like, a church where there's providential relationships and there's personal ministry. And then what I want to do is I want to hopefully say out loud maybe some of the objections that you have that you think someone else will have. Whenever a pastor like me or anyone in a church 
right? Professional clergy says you should serve and you should give and you should sacrifice and you should practice hospitality and you should open your life to more relationships. You know, like when we say that, it sounds self-serving. And so naturally objections come up. But we're not saying it. God, God is saying it. It's not my words. It's, I didn't come up with this. He, he did. And what I want to do is I want to acknowledge what you may or may not realize you're thinking or feeling about, you know, investing more in the community. And then I, I want to allow God to respond from his word. And that's kind of the, the flow of this message. The rest of it will be applications, what we can do. So here's the passage, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Something apocalyptic was happening in the first century. It was about to happen in their day. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. He wants us to pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Well, how do we do that? How do I grow the love in my heart for somebody? That's a good question. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Well, that's a good outcome. I want that outcome. How do I get love to grow in my heart? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Because we tend to grumble when we do hospitality. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And then he says, if anyone speaks, for example, he should do it as one who speaks the very word of God. And if anyone serves, he should do it in the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So the idea here is that these are some examples of the way that you administer God's grace. And the church is a place of ministry. And so the word ministry, when you hear someone at Church of the Valley say the ministry or do ministry or ministry, that's short for administration. It's administry. Right? We are administering the grace that God gives us. We're a part of the family business. King Jesus rules, and his administration is something that we're a part of. And he is administering grace and truth and love and all these good things, right? And he gives to us our portion, and then we enjoy it, benefit from it, and then we give to others. And so we are a part of the administering of the gifts and graces of God to one another in the church and then beyond to the world. And that's the family business. And that's awesome because God is an overflowing, never-ending fountain. And so we're never going to run out. And we get to participate in that. We get to become free from our fears of lack and scarcity and scraping. We get to stop living like hungry alley cats with no master to take care of them. And we learn to live as fat and sassy, happy children in the home of our father. We get to see that our, our God is good and he's, he's a blesser. <laughs> You know, he saved us. He loved us. Even while we were still sinners, he, he saved us. He's good. He's got plenty. And so he gives so that we'll give and then we experience and others are blessed and it grows and we grow like this. This is the picture. Now, when you see that, you may be thinking, that sounds expensive. That sounds like a lot of time. I already have a lot of relationships. I don't know if I can do that. I'm not much interested in giving more, investing more. You may say, I'm tired. I'm too tired. I've been doing personal ministry actually here at this church for years. Or I've been doing personal ministry in my home with my sick family or my young kids or whatever. I do a lot of ministry. I'm tired. I'm not looking to do more. Or you may say, I'm busy. You know, that sounds like a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy. And I don't have it. I'm sorry. I can't get more involved. I can't do more. I can't open more. I can't stretch more. Or I'm good. I'm just good. I have enough friends, family. I'm comfortable. 
I'm snug. I'm right where I want to be. It's finally the way I like it. Everything's just, I've just read a number of friends and family and it's all going good. And I like it. I want to change anything. Or I lack. I'm lacking. I don't, I don't have anything to offer. It's not that I'm not willing or I'm tired. I, I'm not, I don't have anything to give people. These are all objections that we have, we feel. Whenever we think about stretching, disciplining ourselves, um, growing our personal ministry, and um, really opening up to relationships that God wants to bring in our lives, that he would use to provide for us things that we need. And so what I want to do is look at a story that's in all four Gospels, because it addresses every one of those objections. objections. And it really touches on the topic of our sermon today, which is, how do I grow spiritually? The answer is, invest in community. How do I invest in community? Well, personal ministry and, and the providential relationships God provides. Okay, but those are expensive, so I'm not sure I want to do them. Here are some objections I have. And then this particular account of something that happened, really happened, that Jesus actually did, it actually encourages us and speaks to us in all those ways. And this is when Jesus fed 5,000 people. Talk about personal ministry. <laughs> Talk about providential relationship. Were you there that day that Jesus fed 5,000 men and all their women and children? You mean after he healed all those people from sickness? Yeah, that day. That was awesome, right? How many people's faith exploded and got born that day, right? The ministry that was done that day when Christ fed 5,000 people, that ministry was like an explosion that had ripple effects that went on for centuries because of the people and their children and their children's children and all that it did. It's such an important story that it's in all four Gospels. Now, not every story is in all four Gospels. There are stories that are in three of the Gospels. There are stories that are in two of the Gospels. There are stories that are in one of the Gospels. But there aren't very many that are in all four. And this is one of them. So what I want to do is I want to read it. And then I want to go back through it and use this to um, speak to the objections that I feel, that you may feel, when it comes to personal ministry or providential relationships. So here it is, Matthew 14. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from town. And when Jesus landed and saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, <clears throat> This is a remote place, Lord, and it's getting really late, so send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves something, some food. And Jesus said to them, he replied to them, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to Jesus, We... We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides the women and children that were there. That's a lot of people. That's an amazing story. What are the objections to investing in community? Well, I've, I've already gone over it. One of them is I'm tired. Let me tell you something. Jesus and his disciples were tired. But look at all that God did when they were tired. Being tired is actually sometimes a test. So now, read this passage again. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. Now, what had happened? Well, if you read right before this in all four of the Gospels, you find out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered by Herod. And when he got the news, of course he was heartbroken. Of course he's in mourning. He wanted to get away. He wanted a quiet moment. But at the same time, his disciples came back from a mission trip where they were exhausted. And they'd done some amazing things and they wanted to talk to him. They wanted his attention. So he's, he's torn up internally. He's exhausted. 
They come back tired, but they want to talk. And so he's taking these guys away to a solitary place so that everybody can rest. Everybody can rest, get, get refreshed. But guess what happens? It says the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So right when they land, there's massive crowds of people. And Jesus is exhausted. Talk about being too tired to do personal ministry. Talk about being too tired to be someone's providential relationship. Right? But think about what God did. And they were on empty. It's often when we're exhausted and needing rest that God gives you a test, an assignment, a chance to grow in faith. And when you do, you actually stretch to love and serve and to provide the grace that God has provided you to other people. He grows, matures you. He makes you softer, more healthy. He gives you more strength. He makes you more righteous, more peaceful, more joyful. Because you're living free. I mean, it's like, look at this. I didn't have any gas in the tank, but I drove for 100 miles. This is amazing. This is a whole new world for me. Right? I was leading a group years ago, and I was sick. And I was thinking about quitting and canceling. And I, You know, it was kind of one of those 50-50 situations where I was, I was not sick enough to not lead at that moment, but it was going in the wrong direction. It was like a storm that was brewing. And I could call it and just rest and relax all, all evening. Or I could push through. So I was going to cancel, but... I had a sense that that was just, I shouldn't, and that God was saying, just do it and pray and ask for help. So I, I prayed, God, please take this away. I'm going to keep this meeting. And when I came downstairs, it was like it was like being in a sauna full of steam, and all of a sudden, somebody opened the door, and all the steam just got sucked out of the sauna. That was what it was like. My head was stuffy, and my chest was stuffy. It was just, it was gone. It was amazing. It was like physically noticeable to me. And so I led the meeting, and, and actually, God did great things in that meeting. People were really blessed. And then afterwards... It came right back. As I was walking out the door from the house that was hosting it, I just it hit me again. And it was God saying, look, I can turn it off and turn on anytime. I'm what you need. And that's what the disciples learned in this situation when they, you know, were weak and exhausted. What they learned was their, their, their little plus Jesus equals enough. Whatever they have plus Christ is enough. God will supply what you need. So if you're tired... You have an opportunity to risk, to venture, to bet on the kingdom. Say, you know what? Even though I'm tired, I am going to serve. Even though I'm tired, I am going to say yes. Even though I'm tired, I am going to open my home, practice hospitality. Even though I'm tired, I am going to go to group and participate in a group. Even though I'm tired, I am going to open and give and invest a little bit more. Not everything, but if I'm going to five, I'm going to go to six. If I'm going to six, I'm going to go to seven. If I'm going to one, I'm going to go to two. I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to stretch a little bit more. Why? Because when people are tired... God still works. How do you know? Well, look right here. We just saw it. Look what he did. That's how you know. That's the hope God's holding out in front of you. Think about the disciples telling those stories for the rest of their life. Let me tell you what happened. It's amazing what God did. You want to be a part of that. When you're tired, that's a big part of that. Uh, There's another story that's kind of funny. I was on a mission team, and um, some of the guys on the team were, uh, they were doing something after a sports camp. And, we had all served from uh, 6 o'clock until 9 o'clock, taking care of the kids, running around, doing a lot of work. And all day we had been prepping and going to stores and running around. And 9.30 comes along and the, the truck is driving away from the sports camp. And we're, uh, we're getting back to um, our rooms and our hotels. I was separate from them. And, and then at 11 o'clock, I find out that these guys are heading out to Temecula. They're on their way to Temecula. Because right after they dropped the truck off at uh, – 
the pastor's house, the next door neighbor was moving to Temecula. He had nobody to help him. He was this kind of hard man who wasn't interested in God. And this team of men, I don't know how many guys it was, they were over there. They emptied his entire house, filled the truck. They followed him to Temecula where his new house was. They put everything in the house and they didn't finish until 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, God provided them the grace that they didn't think they, they did, the energy they didn't think they were going to have. But what I was really thinking was, think about that guy. Think about all the hard rocks. God says there's rocks in our heart, our hearts are hard. And he uses providential relationships to break up those rocks. How many rocks were broken up? How much soil was torn up for that guy to be responsive to the gospel in the future because of the way that the church loved him? Right? Think about that. Think about the, the strength and energy that God gave to many of those men who are pastors or are going to be pastors. You can run on empty. You can run on empty hour after hour. You can do it in faith, and God will give you grace. So anyway, if you're tired, those are some things to think about. Number two, I can't invest in community. I don't have any time for providential relationships. I can't give any more to personal ministry because I'm busy. I'm busy. But it's interesting in the story that we read, it says when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now imagine five years after the miracle of feeding 5,000, some man is in a, a local tavern and he says, how did you come to faith in the Lord Jesus? And he says, well, he healed my son. And then afterwards he fed 5,000 people. I heard his words and my heart was set on fire. Now what was happening right before that happened? Now, that man doesn't know what was happening right before that happened. But what was happening right before that was that Jesus' cousin died. The disciples had just come back to give a report on their ministry. They were going away to a solitary place. They were busy. When that boat landed on the shores and the gate came down and they saw all those people, it would have been totally understandable for Jesus to say, you know what, guys? We're busy. But they didn't. Five years later, this man is talking about the healing of his son, the feeding of 5,000, the legend and, and, and glory of Jesus Christ and the faith that he has in him. And all of those people, right? That The busy, I'm too busy, that are all been cut short. And so I just thought about that as I was reading that passage. Then there's I'm lacking. I don't have enough. I don't have enough juice, enough gas. I just don't have what it takes. And that's what the disciples felt, right? They said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So send the crowds away so they can go get some food in the villages. And Jesus says they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And notice what the disciples say. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. In other words, we don't have enough. We're lacking. And Jesus says, bring it to me. And he directed the people to sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. And then he broke the loaves. And he gave it to the disciples. And those disciples gave what Jesus gave him to the people. So here we have this picture of we get from the Lord, we give from the Lord. We get from the Lord, we give from the Lord. Now, what did the disciples see? They saw their lack. What do we often see when we see an opportunity to serve someone, to help them, to give them our time, our attention, our affection, our labor, our money, whatever? When that comes, when we, when we see more new people coming to Church in the Valley, there's, a, there's more and more new people coming around, and we feel like, man, I already have enough relationships. I lack time. I lack energy. I lack whatever. And what, what's interesting is the stories in all four Gospels, and in the Gospel of John, John says, Jesus did this to test them. Like, he knew they didn't have enough food, but he said it to test them, to see what their reaction would be. 
when he told them to do something that required 10, but they only had one, what would they do? What would they do? What would come out? And what they, what they failed to realize was, if you have one, but you need 10, but you have one, and you give that to Christ, that's enough. What you have plus Christ equals enough. Whatever, whatever you have, if you offer it to the Lord, and then you go do your best, he will take care of the rest. That is the story throughout the Bible. Things that don't add up like this. And so, we're being encouraged to bring whatever little thing we have to the Lord and ask him to use it, to multiply it. So, here's an example. Here's a prayer that you could pray, applying this principle if you're feeling lacking. A prayer for the lacking. Lord, take my small act of service to this person and multiply it. Please, use my efforts to feed and bless them and deepen their faith in Christ Jesus. So you're coming to serve on Sundays to the odd squad or the greeting squad or you're doing coffee or you're teaching the kids or you're on the stage or whatever. Just anybody, every person coming to church on Sunday, before you come, walk from the car to the building or maybe on the way from home to the building, you just pray out loud, even for your family. Lord, take our act of worship, our service, the conversations we're going to have for the people at CIV and multiply it. Please use our efforts, our love, our attention, our time, our whatever we give to feed and bless them and deepen their faith in Jesus Christ. Do what you did in that miracle of feeding the 5,000 with what I'm offering you. So you serve, but you serve before the Lord, in the face of the Lord, asking the Lord to take your small thing and multiply it. If you lack, that's okay. Just bring whatever you have, and God will multiply it. And that leaves us with our last objection, which is I'm good. I'm good. i got plenty of relationships. I'm just right. I've served, I'm, I'm serving, I'm doing things, but, you know, things are just finally right, and that's what I want. I don't want to, it's good now, and I don't want to mess it up. It's interesting, is the disciples, they had five loaves and two fish. Apparently that was good enough. They were going to eat that for dinner, right? What is their portion of five loaves and two fish? One-twelfth of five loaves and two fish. That was, what, that was what good enough was for them. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 take yours and give it to everybody else. And they're probably thinking, well, what about us? <laughs> and look at the end of the story. They ate and were satisfied. Everyone was satisfied. Not just me. I wasn't just good, but everybody was good. Now, we're all good. Oh, I'm good. Right? Everybody's good. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. That's one basketful for each person. God wants to grow your basket. You don't have containers big enough for the blessing that God wants to pour out upon you and all of his people for eternity. And it's progressive, right? He's growing your faith. He's growing your faith so that you can receive more and more from him. And you give it away. And it grows. And you give it away. And it grows. They started with one-twelfth of five loaves and two fish. But because they gave it away to Christ, they ended with basketfuls. That's a great picture. That's a great picture. So allow God to grow. You're good. You're good. Let God grow your good. So it's 2020, big year, crazy things. Who knows what's going to happen, right? Are they going to start another pandemic? Is the economy going to tank? Are we going to have the world war? What's going to happen? What I, I do know is I need to be strong, fit spiritually. And that means I want to grow in my personal ministry and I want to grow in relationships that God is placing in my lives, my life, 
uh, that he wants to provide something to me through. So here are some practical things from 1 Peter that I can use um, to actually respond in faith. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, it says, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. So the first thing I want to do is I want to love deeply. That means I want to serve more, and I want to give more, and I want to be looking for ways that I can invest in the people of my church, not just my family and not just my friends, but people that are a part of CIV. The word deeply means stretch, strain. He's saying strain, strain, stretch, just like someone who exercises. They strain and stretch the muscle and it grows. If we're all straining and stretching and doing a little bit more to know and love and serve each other, we're going to love each other more deeply. And he says it covers a multitude of sins. Love is like the anti-bomb. Sometimes you watch a show and it's like a slow motion explosion, you know, and you see everything blowing apart. But then they do a reverse timeline and it goes back to normal. That's what love's like. Love takes a place that's blown up and things are shattered and broken and it heals. Love covers. Love extends. Love makes things last. The more you love someone, uh, the more patient you are with them. I and mean, it's like the beer goggles that I used to see in the 90s. They would have commercials where a guy would put on goggles and a normal-looking woman would look like a supermodel. And they'd give these beer goggles to a woman and a normal-looking man would look like a supermodel, right? They'd only see this exaggerated picture. Now, it's not quite like that, but what love does is it makes you see people more like God does. He's so patient with us. He's so gracious with us. He's, he's so amazing to us. How come? Because he loves us. And if we see and love one another like he does, we're going to be patient and gracious and forgiving and long-suffering. And that covers the cracks while we're growing tighter and stronger. Because the sin, it, it cracks and it breaks and it shreds our body. But love, it covers that and it allows us to keep growing tighter and healthier as we give and serve each other, as we receive from one another, as we're providentially relationships, as we as our relationships provide for us and as we personally minister. This is this is what he means by love each other. Then he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is big because hospitality is a voluntary action. I'm not commanding you, nor do I have a program for you to do hospitality. Like if you choose to invite me over, or if I choose to invite you over, or somebody else chooses to invite somebody over to their home for a meal, that's totally voluntary. I wanted to do it because nobody told me I had to. And that's a real expression of love and grace and kindness. But of course, it's like, yeah, but then my house got to get clean, and I don't know when they're going to leave, and what if they say no, and I don't really have nice stuff, and I'm really anxious. And what that is is you're starting to grumble. You're starting to be ungrateful. You're starting to say, I don't have what I need to do what God is saying. But of course you do. You just take what you have, and you, you, you use it. So you find someone, and you invite them to come over for a meal, and you serve them. And that's using the gifts God has given you to serve them. And it's commanded. Offer hospitality, but don't grumble. Some of the ways we grumble is, I didn't get invited, or I invited and nobody said yes, or they stayed too long, or it's too expensive. Right? There's different ways we grumble, but really what we want to do is we want to say, Lord, I want to bless this person, their family, their friends, whoever comes over. Use me to, like I said before, kind of the same prayer. Lord, take this small act of service to so-and-so and multiply it. Please use our efforts to feed and bless and deepen their faith in Jesus Christ. And it, you know you don't have to do it every day and every week, but... Maybe once a quarter, try to have somebody over. Grow in that. Then he says, we need to minister faithfully, right? Minister, administer regularly, faithfully, disciplinedly the things that God has given. We need to have a way to regularly, consistently, frequently give the gifts that God has given us to others. Give the graces that God has given us to others. 
And so he says, if anyone speaks, he should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. So if I'm preaching, I need to preach the way that God would preach if he was here standing in this place. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. So if I'm serving in any way, I should serve just the way the Lord Jesus would serve if he were me. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. The whole point of it is that Jesus is, is praised, is glorified. Right? His, his bride is honoring him. So how can you minister faithfully? Where are you regularly ministering the grace that God has given you? If you're not on a team, serve. If you're not in a group, join. If you haven't practiced hospitality, do so. And then there's all these little things every day. And, and honestly, it's whenever you see a need. You see a need, you hear about a need, you, you recognize a need, the Holy Spirit points out to you, this is a need. <laughs> this is an opportunity for you to do something good right now. You know, He might whisper to you. And when you do, you then have a choice to make. Am I going to do my best in faith to give what I can to the situation for their good? And this is ministering faithfully. The point is an attitude. We want to have an attitude. We want to expect that the Lord is going to give us a whole bunch of opportunities for this stuff. And, of course, there's regular opportunities, like as a part of the the, the organized church, like service and participation in that way. Groups, those are are really crucial. Um, But then there's all these things in between that that you you take initiative on, that, that make the community alive. So I want to encourage you to minister faithfully. And ask God to show you what that looks like. I mean, we have women who teach at our Impact Christian Academy on Tuesdays. It's a, a school that we do once a week here at CIB for a lot of the homeschooling families. And we have, we have a, la- a lady who teaches all littler kids. We actually have a, a couple of them who teach only little bitties. And, and their child is not in the class. Their child is, is older. But they're still using their gifts to serve these little kids. Well, I've grown up. My kids are older now. I don't want to mess with these little kids. No, no. They're, they have been given gifts and abilities. They've learned things, and now they're using those things. They're pouring them out to bless the next generation of little kids and their parents. They're using the gifts they've received to serve others. They're not saying, I benefit. I like it. It's what I want to do. But rather, you know what? I have some skills and experience based on raising up some kids, and I would love to use those with the little bitties. It's a wonderful picture. So that's a way of ministering faithfully. And finally, encouraging regularly. A Hebrew says, and let us consider, so I've got to be thinking about it, how we may spur, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This guy over here, how can I encourage him? How can I spur him on? How can I keep him trust in Christ? How can I help him see the opportunities before him? How can I help him stay in our fellowship so that we're loving each other and we're still doing what's right before the Lord? What does he need? I'm going to pray for him. What does he need? How can I encourage him? Spend some time. We're thinking about each other, right? Love and good deeds. Uh, and then it says, uh, let us not give up meeting together. Or here in this verse, it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So stop meeting regularly. Stop attending worship every Sunday. Stop attending a group every week. Stop participating in the rhythmic lives of the church. Every church is different. Every church has a different schedule. But whatever church you decide to be a part of, you need to get in that schedule so that you're regularly, and regular is a relative term. It's relative to the group. I don't know how regularly a church in China meets, but I know how regularly we meet. We meet every week, and so I'm here every week. And it's here every week that God has an opportunity to work in me and work through me. And we have groups every week, so I'm a part of a group every week. And I participate in other parts of the church. And I did this before I was on staff, before I was a, you know, a pastor. When I was in my 20s, in my early 30s, I was just a teacher, but I was participating in these things regularly, meeting regularly, and I was encouraged. So he says, don't give up meeting together, 
as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. So it doesn't, it's not a big deal if you miss a meeting or miss a church service. It's not, it's a habit of missing. It's become your pattern. Your pattern is to not participate. But encourage one another daily. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's the deal. I'm supposed to encourage you and use whatever gifts I have to do that, to build you up, to strengthen you, to stimulate you, to get you to keep wanting to walk with Christ. And usually what happens is we don't feel capable of doing that. We don't feel like we have the right to speak into people's lives, and we don't feel like we know what to say. So here's the deal. If you want, if you want to win a hearing, you buy trust from people with love. You love people. You serve them. You show kindness to them. You take initiative with them when, they have, when you have nothing to gain. And you do this repeatedly. And that begins to build trust with people because you really are loving them. And then you spend that trust on the truth. There will come an opportunity where they'll be in a situation or they'll be at a crossroads or there'll be some big decision or they'll be going through something. And you're going to say, hey, man, can we talk? Or they'll call you and say, hey, can we talk? And you'll have an opportunity to say, that's not right or this is good or here's what God says. And it will be truth to them because you're spending the trust that you've earned on the truth. And this is how it works. And you may be thinking, well, that was worthless. That was a waste of time. That didn't do anything. But that's not true. You don't miss. God's word never misses. There's a story of a hunter who is uh, in his, whatever you call it, where they sit in a tree and they wait for uh, an elk to come by. And he had this friend of his who didn't hunt, didn't bow hunt, but he went and got all the gear and he wanted to do a great job to impress his friends. So they're both in two different trees. They're there all night long. Nobody's killing anything. And then the novice hears his friend, who's the pro, scream, Ah, I got so he crawls down, goes over to his friend's tree, and his friend's like, I got him. And he's like, got who? He's like, I got a huge buck, and it's, you know, big old, big old, whatever, deer. And he's like, where? He's like, he's just down that, down that road, 100 yards, I, right through his heart. And the guy's like, I don't think so. So the novice walks down the road 100 yards, and he doesn't, he doesn't find the elk. He finds the arrow. It's covered in blood, but the elk is gone. He's like, you missed him. And the guy said, no, I didn't. It went right through his heart. If you keep going down the road, you're going to find a dead elk. And sure enough, about another 75 yards down the road, the elk was dead. Now, the man is standing where the arrow fell, where the words fell. And there's nothing there. But if you keep going down the road, there is a dead elk. When you speak the word of God to people, it goes into the heart. It doesn't miss. And they may not respond to you in the moment. They may not say anything to you in the moment. But they're going to drive away. They're going to go away. They're going to go to sleep. They're going to keep walking. And God is going to take that word and he's going to work in it as they go down the road. And it's going to go into the heart, and it's going to do what he wants it to do. So you just do it in faith. You tell the truth in love, but you speak the truth. And if you want a person to open up their heart, then you buy that trust with love. And this is how we encourage people regularly. This is the, these are the dynamics of it. All right, so let's wrap up with some next steps. Here, here are some things you can do based on those, those, those general applications. One is receive Christ as Lord. If you're not yet a Christian... Receive the forgiveness that God is offering you in his son Christ. If you believe that you are a sinner before God, you agree that his law is a righteous standard that you fall short of, that God is the judge of the world, the living and the dead, and that when you stand before him, that he would have the right to cast you into hell because of your sins against him. But you see that Jesus died in your place, that the, the punishment you deserve for your sin was placed upon a new head, a new king named Jesus. And for all those who follow that king, their sins are forgiven and washed. And you want to receive that forgiveness today. If you want to do that, then you can pray, Lord, I confess my sins. I believe that Jesus was sent to this world to die for my sins. I repent of them. I ask for you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life as my King, Lord, and Savior. I give you my whole life in Jesus' name. And let us know on the connection card, digital connection card, so we can help you take your first steps as a new Christian. Number two, 
I'd like to encourage you to admit objections and fears of greater service and fellowship. If any of those objections that we identified ring true for you, circle it. Be honest. Tell God. Ask him to change it. Number three, participate in groups and teams. Today, what I've mostly done is shown you why it makes sense. I've tried to help it make sense to you to participate more in groups and teams and hospitality. And that's number four. Offer something, offer someone from CIV hospitality without grumbling this quarter. I mean, once in three months, just give it a try. Because like I said, these things please God, they glorify Christ, and it's going to be a crazy year. You want to be strong, firm, and steadfast. You want to grow in your faith. And these two things, providential relationships and personal ministry, they are keys to spiritual growth. So I'm going to encourage you to respond today, respond this week, this month in faith by investing more in community at Church in the Valley and see God work in 2024. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We do ask that you grow our faith in 2024. Help us see practically how we can uh, faithfully administer your grace in its various forms. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.